Good morning, everyone. This is a late, late, late video. It's a Saturday, so I normally try and do this uh, on the Friday. But as I said via Twitter yesterday, uh, it has been a birthday. I'm just looking at the comments to see Burton there wishing Ella happy birthday. So thanks for that. Uh, so Elle is my now nine-year-old daughter, and yeah, we just had a party, and I was like, I just I don't feel like. I mean, this was after the party and everything when I normally would have done the video. So like, I don't feel like doing this. So we just had neighbours over and we hung around and drank beer and chilled out. So I don't mind sometimes pushing my things back a little bit in order to have that little bit of uh, extra family time. Now, look at the comments before I jump into all the other things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Joe555, quadruple five, saying never this late. But yeah, okay, so there we go. Lance must be quite the cute coffee machine. Either that or the IOT gremlins have gotten to him. I will talk about the IOT gremlins. I've got all sorts of stuff floating around here. That's IOT related. I'll show you some of it and explain some of the other bits. Sponsor. First sponsor this week again is Veronis. I think Veronis must be my most frequent sponsor uh, by now. Reduce your SAS blast radius. It's a good term, isn't it? SAS blast radius with data-centric security for AWS G Drive. Box sales for Slack and more. And a lot of what Veronis has done very well over the years, including the years that I've actually been able to go and see these folks and speak at events on their behalf, uh, etc. So like real world people that I do get to spend time with, they have put a lot of effort into identifying what your things are within your environment. Remember, your environment is not just your stuff on premise anymore. Like your environment is so increasingly things like AWS and the Azure's and other cloud related services. So they've done a very good job at identifying what those things are and also looking at things like access permissions. They did a lot of work around user behavioral analytics as well. So understanding what normal access looks like and then highlighting deviations from that. So go and check out the Veronis Bits, a revolutionary way to defend your mission-critical cloud services. And we are going to talk about some cloud services today and the things that do tend to go wrong with them particularly when we get around to things like Revil and some of the stuff that's been happening there. Okay, so things on my list. Um, I, I, if I'm honest, I only made this list like 10 minutes ago. Normally I just like keep a list running during the week of things that I think would be interesting. And uh, as I said, this week I, I got a little bit behind, uh, partly because it's also winter school holidays at the moment. So I know most people watching this are like, what do you mean, it's summer? But no, it's winter. Trust me. So so the kids have been off and we've just been spending a lot of time with them. I posted some video the other day. Uh, we had a, a little epic jet ski ride. It was the first time I've been out for quite a while, actually. Now, I, I thought I'd probably get some flack on Twitter, uh, which I didn't. I'm a little bit surprised about why would you let a then eight-year-old drive a 300-horsepower supercharged jet ski. <laughs> but you can do this. So the way it works here in Australia is that so long as there's a licensed driver who has the lanyard attached to them, so there's a lanyard which is a kill switch, so if you fall off, it pulls it out of the ignition and the engine just dies. So long as there's a licensed driver with that, it doesn't matter how old you are or whether you're licensed or not, you can drive the jet ski. So the kids have been getting gradually more and more, I guess, comfortable with driving the jet ski, which is good. Uh, and I just think it's one of those things where it's really cool that you're able to do that. I know my mate Lars down in Victoria because he lives on his own property and he has cars there. His kids can drive the cars around his property, uh, which is cool. So I like giving the kids all the, all the chances they have to do things that are beyond the ages that they normally would. All right, so looking at my list, 
COVID. Uh, I got my first COVID shot, believe it or not. Now I was speaking uh, earlier on on Twitter, probably probably only about a week, week and a half ago, where um, I was mentioning that it was very, very difficult to find a shot here in Australia. And I was explaining to folks, you know, that's Australia is always very different to the rest of the world, but especially at the moment, it's, it's very different to the rest of the world COVID-wise because especially up until very recently, and it's this is not unprecedented here in Australia, but especially up until very recently, we've really just had no instances. Now, when I say no, there have been instances, but comparatively, comparatively, relatively speaking to the rest of the world, it's just basically been nothing. So I've, I've mentioned many times our state here, 5.1 million people, and I think we've had, is it seven or eight deaths for the entire thing? Uh, and very, very few cases of community transmission, very, very rare. <clears throat> so we've been in a little bit of a a bubble because we've just gone, okay, no one else can come in from overseas bar a very, very small fraction of people that have to go to hotel quarantine. And it's effectively kept the virus out. Now, because of that, we just haven't moved very quickly with vaccines because people are like, oh, we'll wait and see how it goes in the rest of the world. We don't have to worry too much because there's just not much of it out there. And that has made it very hard now that there have been little upticks because there have been escapes of the virus from hotel quarantine. So now people are like, I want to go and get the, the jab, and it's been very hard. But finally, we did actually manage to go and register uh, via our state government website. Uh, and I do want to write something about this as well, because there's been a lot of links flying around for COVID registrations, which look dodgy as. Now, what I mean by dodgy as, they're like power apps, URLs. And that's it. It's not like a it's not like a .gov TLD or anything like that. So they just look very, very, very shaky. But anyway, there's another story. There was a bit in the press about that last week. So uh, we went and registered on the official government website. It's very, very hard to figure out what's actually going on behind the scenes. I think most of us try to look at these services and we're like, I wonder what how this all works. You know. So for example, why is it that Charlotte registered a day after me, but then got the notice to go and book her appointment before me? I don't know how that worked. Anyway, so we got that. Uh, so I eventually booked an appointment for about two weeks from now. And I said to Charlotte, look, go and book yours as well. Just see what comes up. There was only one slot available. And then a few days ago, she's like, I just went in. There's one slot at like midday today. So we both went and I socially engineered my way into getting a shot a bit earlier <laughs> than what I was meant to, which basically boiled down to the person at the front door going, oh, you'll have to ask if it's possible when you get in. And then when we got in, the person there saying, well, what did the person at the front door say? And I was like, oh, he said it was fine. So <laughs> we got our first shot, booked again for three weeks to the day, which is now just under three weeks from now for the second shot, uh, which is great. So that's that's locked in. We'll get this whole thing done in July. When I shared that online, I, I did find, because it's Twitter, I did find some people arguing about, should be six weeks or five weeks or three. And, and I was just watching these two people on Twitter just communicating in a negative derogatory way about do your own research and look this look it's really simple it's like you it's not the same everywhere in the world for various reasons but you have a government whether it be your state government or your national government and they set out guidelines for stuff like just just follow that because 99.9 percent .9 for sure they know more about this stuff than you do so I like just go and follow the government advice for god's sake stop arguing on twitter go and get your damn shot now, we are having, uh, as I mentioned, COVID upticks. Let's see what's happened today. In parts of the country, the problem area at the moment is Sydney, which is our most populous city, which uh, which is quite worrying. 
Uh, now, Sydney, just for the international folks, is about 800 kilometres away from here. So when you see news about like, hey, Australia's having an outbreak, it's, it's like when you see news about Australia's having a bushfire. It's like, yeah, there's a bushfire here. Uh, it's flooded over there and it's snowing there. Like it's it's just such a big place. It's, it's almost the same size as, as, uh, as the US. Uh, mainland US, excluding the free states. So where are we at? 20 minutes ago today, Victoria had three more cases, all from hotel quarantine. New South Wales hasn't reported yet. Uh, but I think yesterday they had 40-something new cases, which, again, in the global scheme is, is, is not a lot. But in a place which has largely been COVID-free and we're well behind on vaccinations. So we've got the vaccination stats here, actually. So uh, there have been 6.6 million dose ones now we've got a, a country of about 25 million people so i guess it's going to be about three quarters of them if we exclude the children who are eligible which puts us way way behind 2.1 million people have had their dose too so you can see australia is all a little bit touch and go at, at the moment so hopefully those those vaccinations are being rushed through as well as a lot of lockdown restrictions we still have to wear masks here on the gold coast which is really really unusual we have to do that until the end of friday uh but we're basically having no new cases. So I think Friday we'll be back to normal. And hopefully before I'm scheduled to go to the snow at the end of next month, I know that's a very selfish <laughs> priority given what's what's happening, but uh, we would also like the, like the folks running the snowfields to be able to have visitors. So hopefully everything settles down a bit before then, although we don't have to go through Sydney. Now, Burton's asked, how far does the jet ski go? It depends how you drive it. <laughs> so so the, the jet ski, as I mentioned, 300 horsepower supercharged Sea-Doo. It does about 117k an hour at full throttle, and it will burn through a 60-litre tank very quickly. I get probably about 40 minutes, I think, 40, 50 minutes out of it um, at that pace. At more cruising speed, I can probably get two or three times that. Uh, I have done some some epic journeys through. I did one particular epic journey, which took about seven hours in total with, with my son about three years ago, and we just strapped on a whole bunch of extra fuel tanks and stopped at a service station and refilled them all. So you can get some distance, but it really, really depends on how you're driving it because that thing absolutely chews fuel. Now, uh, yeah. Ivan Van Zyl is still stuck at age 40 to 49 group since forever. Gov pushing everyone to get the shot but cannot make it available. Africa is going faster than Oz. Yeah, and again, like everything's a little bit different in different parts of the world, but um, uh, it, it's it's quite a funny feeling. For those of you who've had the shot, maybe you'll you'll feel the same thing, but now it's, I, I guess in Australia, I, I was never too worried about getting it, uh, the, the virus it is, just because of the prevalence of it and because of the way our lives are as well. We're not really often around crowded spaces other than going to a restaurant or something, but we're not like in public transport and offices and that kind of thing. But it, it is reassuring to even just had the first shot. So it'd be nice when that second one kicks in. All right, let me talk about some IoT stuff because that has been consuming some time, as usual. Mm. Uh, I've had various network problems. And the folks at Ubiquity have been very good with this. But we, we believe what it boils down to. And I'm going to go and pull my Ubiquity dashboard open now. Where did I put that? I'm sure you're like me and you've just got like 50 different windows with 50 different tabs on each. Why do I only have one tab on that window? Um, there we go. That's what I'm after. So with support from the Ubiquity folks, I believe that we've basically just got 
too much noise on the network. Uh, and a lot of this seems to be uh, multicast traffic. So devices just communicating with devices in ways that they probably don't need to. And the folks there have been helping me make some tweaks in order to, to try and narrow down what the problem might be. Now, what I have ended up doing is on my IoT network, I have uh, changed the 2G rate control uh, and basically increased it to the defaults to like 6 megabits a second to 24 megabits a second. So configured it to be a much higher density network. Now that impacts your range, so I do need to be a bit cautious of that. But it does uh, it does do good things for reducing the chatter on the network. Uh, and I, I think that the thing that I'm sort of struggling with, even to find the words now, is I'm having trouble like just narrow, nailing this down to here is a figure that shows the problem, and here is a change, and then the figure changes, and then the devices behave. And I do want to write something about this because I think it's very interesting as we sort of connect more and more stuff it's like everyone's going to have these problems right like if we start getting dozens and dozens or in my case 150 something different devices on the network and there's a lot of chatter between them at what point does network get saturated and you start having issues that are very very hard to pinpoint and define so crooked here says someone's deauthing your network trying to hack you i i guess that the joy here is that if there was anyone too close by you'd sort of get a sense of it. It's, it, it's, it's not like a high-density apartment building or something where it's like, look, there could be anywhere. And <laughs> So I don't think that that is the problem. Uh, and of course, as I make adjustments to the network, I am seeing some improvements as well. Uh, so I was having trouble, for example, accessing Octoprint. Now, Octoprint runs on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, it is on Wi-Fi. And I would often find that other Wi-Fi devices couldn't access it because those access points just seem to be flooded with again, multicast traffic. Now, as I started setting the network to be for higher density devices, that problem came good. So no problems at all with Octoprint. I'm still having lots of problems with the Shellys. Now, I did a test just before. At the moment, of about the 30 different Shellys I have in the house, I cannot access a single one of them either from my PC, which is wired, or from my laptop. Oddly enough, I can access it from Home Assistant. And if I go into the Home Assistant terminal and I curl the URL that the Shelly admin interface runs on, then I get a response and it's fine. And, and, and that's, like, that's the sort of shit I'm just struggling with because I can't show with numbers why that is the problem. And that's, that's probably more to do with my lack of understanding of some of these network mechanics than what it is with Ubiquity, but that's where we are. Adventure Matt says multicast broadcast transmit by default at the lowest basic rate, so you can prune off those to low data rates to make that traffic move faster and cause less congestion. This is the sort of tuning I've got to do at the moment. Ivan says, uh, does it make difference between using channel 11 or channel 25 for Zigbee or not really? I don't think the Zigbee bit will really matter because I believe it's on a different frequency anyway. It, it has sort of made me think that, let's say the 20-something lights I recently put out here that are on Wi-Fi, uh, I, I do have buyer's remorse about not getting them to be Zigbee. Firstly, because I'd have local control. Secondly, because I'd get a bunch of traffic off the network. Speaking of putting lots of devices on the network, I do have a bunch of Shelleys sitting over there waiting to go into my currently being repaired ensuite and master bedroom. And there's going to be a Shelley on, on pretty much every switch. But what I've decided, and this is sort of the trying to find the sweet spot between IoT stuff and, uh, and, and shit just working, is that <clears throat> every light in those two rooms, which 
to me, and, th- and this is where a sort of I think the UX of IoT is interesting. To me, like the master bedroom and the ensuite up there are places where you go to relax and tune out, and it's meant to be it, it's meant to just work, and you don't have to think about things. <clears throat> the kids' room, uh, the pool here in this office is. I don't mind beta testing, you know, like I don't mind mucking around with stuff. So with that in mind, what I've decided to do is every single light in the master and the ensuite is going to be a a dumb light. So it will not have any IoT within the light itself. It will be dimmable. Some of them will be, uh, (coughs) excuse me, adjustable for warmth as well, not via IoT, but just by little switches on them. And then each one of those circuits will have uh, a Shelly dimmer on it. So... It means that even if there's no IoT and the Shelly drop off the network, all that sort of stuff, the switches will still work just like normal switches. So everything will be fine. But I can also tie them into automations to make lights come on based on movement uh, or certain times of day or have scenes. So I was, I was just chatting to someone at the manufacturer Shelly, actually. I want to get some of the Shelly i3s, which, uh, which are not meant to be relays, but they can catch events on buttons. So I can put like normal looking uh, face plates for light switches and so on and then just put i3s behind it and you press a button and it's going to do like the morning scene or something like that but if the network doesn't work then all the other buttons still work fine so that's the philosophy i'm going to take with that and i think that just just buys us a bit of insurance uh around iot problems looking at some of the other comments here uh, john says is the network noise mostly like ip layer broadcast multicast issues or layer two issues that cause the 802.11 layer to have a bad time. I'm still not entirely sure, John, and, I, and, I've, and to be honest, I'm not even entirely sure how to pull all the figures out of this. And it's the sort of thing where I need to carve out the better part of a day just to sit down and play with this and understand it. And I haven't been able to find that, particularly at the moment with the kids with uh, school holidays. But they do go back to school on Tuesday, so I think maybe that is my time to start getting on top of this. JJ5555, you, you sure you're not maxing out your ARP cache in an old switch? Yeah, pretty sure of this. Now, what I've been doing with the Ubiquiti folks is you can dump all the logs of your network and then send them off to support. So I've been sending them lots of data like that, and I think if we were sort of exhausting ARP caches or something like that, they'd be able to see that in the logs. Adventure Matt says, did you, <coughs> did you put the Shelly 1pm or 2 behind the dishwasher and washing machine? I'd love to do that. So... <coughs> Uh, no to both of those. The washing machine is a Samsung washing machine that has IoT built in, which on the one hand sounds ridiculous. On the other hand, being able to notify you when the washing machine is done is actually pretty cool. So because it's got native IoT, for want of a better term, want of a better term, I didn't need to put another power monitoring switch or anything like that. The dishwasher, I've got a smart plug that has power monitoring. So I didn't use a Shelly on that, uh, which which I'm fine with. Uh, it just literally plugs into a smart plug, power monitoring, and then when that power monitoring changes in Home Assistant, I've got events that can do things like, so look, the dishwasher's finished. The biggest problem I had with the dishwasher, actually, is you can't tie in the change of power to the dishes being ready to unload. So what, what I wanted to do is after the dishwasher runs and when it's ready to unload is to push notification to the watch and the Sonos downstairs says, you know, dishwasher's now finished. But what happens with the dishwasher is it it runs and the water's going around, I assume. I don't know exactly what happens to the dishwasher. It's pumping water into it and the heat's running, all this sort of thing. And then it finishes 
And it takes something like 43 minutes just sitting there, letting everything dry, air dry. It's not like fans, so it's not using power, but letting everything air dry before it's done. So I've had to try and time it so that when the power goes down to zero, then there's like an offset of 43 minutes or something. The problem is, is that depending on the cycle you use, like if you use a cycle that's really quick, then the drying time is different to a cycle that's really long, but you don't have anything that you can observe and create different rules for. So it's not like you can say, hey, well, unless I measured the entire wash time and it's getting very hard just to know when to unload the bloody dishwasher. Uh, but in a perfect world, it would be the same as the Samsung, where there'd be native IoT, and it would be able to raise events based on where it's at in the in the cycle. Um, John says, also, assuming you have multiple SSIDs and subnets, do they all go bad at the same time? Seems like an interesting but annoying issue to research. Well, I have different SSIDs. So I have an SSID which is like my primary SSID. I have an IoT SSID and I have a guest SSID. So what I've been trying to do is, is narrow down the issues. I've turned off the guest SSID. Uh, if we don't have a guest, I don't need that. I've actually turned off 5G on the IoT network as well because I noticed that every single IoT device on the IoT network was talking 2.4G. Nothing was on 5. Actually, there was one thing on 5 which was an older Amazon Echo. But I'm also confident enough with an Echo that I just put it on the primary network and then I just went straight to 2.4G on the IoT one. Uh, the other stuff I've kept on the primary network, one of the, the problems I've had is with my Ubiquiti doorbell. Now the Ubiquiti doorbell is a very nice piece of equipment, but constantly I would find it dropping off the network. For the first time, as part of this troubleshooting the other day, it was my phone, I walked up to the spot on the doorbell with my phone, looking at the network connection, and as I got up to the spot where the doorbell is, no network. And, and I think the reason why is the doorbell is sort of embedded in a concrete wall, and on the other side of the concrete wall is the house and the Wi-Fi, so the connectivity through to the Wi-Fi is not very good from that location. But anyway, I've left the doorbell and all the ubiquity bits on the primary network, and I haven't, I haven't reduced... What's the right term here? I haven't reduced the data rate, the minimum data rate uh, on those. So that primary network still has the full data rate. So at the moment, other than the Shelleys, I think everything's pretty much okay. I, I might try just reducing that uh, data rate a little bit on some IoT devices just to, just to get a little bit more range and see if nothing drops off. Word has it that there is an update coming for Shelley's which will improve some things, <laughs> which I believe is related to this. I've just seen a few people mentioning this on some forums. So I'm kind of a little bit reticent to do too much mucking around if there's firmware updates coming, which will fix this. Now, uh, I've got something else to cover, but let's see the comments here. Burton says, maybe switch off the network and turn on the network in stages. So so one of the things actually concerned Burton is... Um, so many of those IoT lights I just put out the front are basically on like three switches with Shelleys. So it's really easy for me to knock off, you know, 25 different IoT devices from the network in one go and see what happens. But this is so hard to nail down. I think in, in part because a lot of stuff ends up sitting like ARP caches. So, you know, maybe I need to turn off the Shelleys on those and then reboot the network or... There's just a lot of trial and error to try and figure out what's going on. It's, it's extremely frustrating. Uh, 
Racket says the lighting in this room is really nice. Thanks, mate. <laughs> it is pretty cool. This room is about to be renovated as well. Uh, in fact, what's going to happen on this room? That is a, a very boring grey-ish kind of wall behind me. So that's going to have a, a quite a nice... So there's going to be a darker wallpaper on it. I've got blinds here which let a lot of light in, in the corners. So they're going to be replaced with some curtains. The, the, they will be an IoT curtain. So I can just press a button probably on the stream deck here and they open and close. That big white shelf will go and there'll be like a thin black shelf and a little light underneath it which will be cool. The wall in front of me, which you can't see, is going to be covered in sound deadening material. I'm going to get this camera bolted onto the wall because at the moment if I wibble my wibble, wobble my desk, you can see the camera wobbling. Uh, what else? A new desk that's just going to be a lot larger so that both Charlotte and I can sit at it together. We can bring both our chairs up because we do a lot of work here together. And at the moment, she drags that chair, which it's just not ideal. So it's going to be a bunch of a uh, bunch of stuff happening in this office because let's face it, I'm not going anywhere for a long time. So I'm going to make this office as productive as possible. Owen says I was under the impression that 2.4 and 5G spectrum channels running on channel 10 contaminate adjacent channels Wi-Fi noise. And and look, I mean, this is all the stuff that that to be honest, I, I don't know. I don't have enough understanding of this. So this is why I've been really happy to get the Ubiquity support and just to send them the support files and go, hey, here's what I've done. Here's the latest files. How does this look to you? What do you think I should tweak? Adventure Matt says, Home Assistant can use multiple interfaces. I wonder if you could look at splitting some very selective things onto different VLANs. I know it's a can of worms that don't need to talk together. <clears throat> so this is what I'm considering because I've got different SSIDs at the moment, but they're both on the same VLAN. Now, I can create a separate VLAN, which then disables multicast, which might actually solve all my problems. Now, the, the only problem with that is that, and someone can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure if once I create a new VLAN, I'm going to end up on a new subnet, which is okay, but I've got a whole bunch of reserved IP addresses that get hard-coded into Home Assistant. Well, look, when I say a whole bunch, a handful, half a dozen, uh, so not a biggie to change them. And mind you, I only do that when I absolutely have to. But there are cases where there are particular devices and integrations that need to be referenced by IP. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. Now, something else I'll talk about, I was actually holding this up in the photo that I put on this, um, on this video. This is a heated floor controller. Now, many of you are probably in parts of the world where you're like, yeah, we see these every day. We don't only see heated floors here. It's a very unusual thing to, to have a heated floor, not just in Australia, but particularly here on the Gold Coast, where in the middle of winter right now, it's 15 degrees Celsius. That is actually cold for you. <laughs> so normally to be about 20 middle of winter. Um, but once you've demolished the entire bathroom to fix the leaks, it's actually pretty cheap to run underfloor heating. And it's not just to keep your feet warm, but water on the floor. I know there's people in cold places now going, yeah, duh, we know all this. But I'm learning. Uh, and I'm mostly learning because of Charlotte being Norwegian and all the floors there are heated in the bathrooms. Uh, but anyway, it dries up uh, any water laying around the floor and, and it reduces mold and things like that. So this is a heated floor controller. Now, there is this. There's some heated towel rails we put in, uh, which should be on some sort of a schedule. And there are other devices I'll talk about later on. But one of the things I've found really interesting IoT-wise is different tradespeople coming in with different devices like this and saying, hey, all you do is you go into the device and you, you, you schedule it. And isn't it great, this one device, and it does it all. And it's like, yeah, that's awesome, mate. You know, I've got about four or five of those that are going in for different things. So now I'm getting all of these other devices that go in just to do things like run schedules. 
and I'm going to have to remember, let's say I'm gonna, we, we go away for a month. COVID's done. We go back to Europe for a month. Done. It's not done. Livable. COVID's livable. We go away for a month. I don't want this thing turning on the heated flooring every single day and I'm paying for the electricity. But I'm going to have to remember to go back into this panel and disable this and then back into the heated towel rail panel, however I'm going to do that and do that. And I just find it fascinating that we're getting so many different controllers within the house to effectively do the same logical operation, set a schedule, turn something on, turn something off. But everything is its own little bespoke controller. No internet connectivity on this. There are a bunch of terminals on the back and there's some instructions here in in the book <laughs> so i'm wondering i'm wondering if there's much i can do with this but uh honestly i think this is where a lot of a lot of the issue is we have so many things on the house that work over electricity and on schedules but just have no unified approach whatsoever i mean this is not even like hey it works with alexa or anything like that because that would then give me something to talk to uh, but I'm kind of curious as to how I make all this stuff in, in a place where I can actually control what goes into the walls and what cables and things go away. I'm kind of curious to see how we can make this work in a human usable way that doesn't end up with just a whole bunch of different autonomous controllers. We shall see. Adventure Matt is desperately trying to keep things segmented, but it's so hard to keep things working as well as they can. And isn't this the challenge, right, where the, the whole idea of IoT is that a, a lot of this is, it's, first of all, it's meant to make your life better, but also it's meant to be consumable by people, right? Like, can you imagine, and I'm going to use a very stereotypical example, but can you imagine your parents buying some of these devices and then trying to make stuff work together? It's, man, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It is such a mess at the moment. Uh now, there's a comment here about DHCP reservations. Uh, so when I said static IPs, I am using DHCP reservations. I'm not putting static IP um, address on devices. So that at least that does mean I can go into Ubiquity, I can seal my reserved IP addresses, and I can go in and I can just change them to IP addresses on the new subnet, and then I can go back to Home Assistant and I can update them there as well. So it's look, it's probably going to burn me a few hours to, to set up the new... Um, the new VLAN, associate that SSID to there, change the subnet, change the reserved IP addresses, change configuration in Home Assistant, <clears throat> and hope for the best. <laughs> I, th I think that's going to do it. I believe I, I should probably be able to just disable multicast on that network anyway. This is the things that I'm figuring out at the moment. Ivan says, do some Wi-Fi analysis to see what channels are congested and perhaps move your IoT to the furthest channel away. Um, again, this is something I'm working through with the Ubiquity folks at the moment. More on DHCP reservations. Let me go on to something else. Cyber things. I had two cyber things, actually. Um, this Revil stuff. Man, this is, <laughs> this is getting fascinating. So Revil is this ransomware crew that, that does seem to have been rather successful as far as cyber criminals go. Uh, so they've been... Extremely active, managed to do a, a, a encrypt a, a whole bunch of networks and, and obviously have quite a bit of money paid to them as well. I believe it was them who was behind one of the, the Meatworks uh, um, companies here in Australia as well that recently got hit. Massive impact on them. I think they paid some number of millions of dollars. The, the news headline here uh, from the Daily Swig is Reval ransomware attackers demand $70 million following the Cassia VSA supply chain attack. They basically said, look, give us $70 million and we'll just stop. <laughs> and, 
And that is insane. They've demanded 70 million payout of a compromising IT management platform, Cassia VSA, and reportedly encrypting the data before more than 1,000 downstream organizations. And it's just, um, you know, like we keep progressing so far in this industry in so many different ways, but then you see stuff like this, and this is on top of colonial pipelines this year and God knows what else. Uh, the exchange issues, remember the exchange issues, God. It's just been such a crazy year and this stuff just escalates and escalates and escalates. And, and clearly we're not doing enough. Often I get this question from reporters like, oh, are we doing enough? You know, Are we doing enough for whether it be like ransomware or cyber attacks, whatever else? And I've always sort of said, look, it's it's not like when we're doing enough, this just doesn't happen at all. There's always going to be balance, right? There's always going to be the balance of how much effort and money and time we throw into this stuff and how much effect it has. You'll never get it down to zero. And I've often said it's a little bit like cutting your toenails. It's like, are we doing enough to stop the growth of our toenails? Well, sometimes they get a bit long and you, <laughs> you have to trim them back, but they will always keep growing. And when you get to the point where they're not growing, you do have different problems. So... It just feels like in in this year in particular, it kind of feels like the answer is we're, we're not doing enough. Like those toenails are just getting longer than what. Oh, that's a pretty unsavory image, but uh, it, it's just growing at a rate which doesn't feel like we're keeping it in equilibrium, for want of a better term. So that has been massive with those folks. Another one that's been big this week uh, for us here in Australia is attacks against New South Wales schools. Now, New South Wales is is our most populous state. New South Wales starts about 30 kilometres that way and then it goes another 1,500-odd kilometres south. And uh, if we look for NSW schools, cyber attack. This has happened in the wake of, uh, as I mentioned just before, more COVID upticks, more lockdown rules. New South Wales Education Department hit by cyber attack just days before the school term resumes. So that the problem is we've now got people in lockdown, we've got kids about to go back to school, and we've got a whole bunch of these services that have had to be taken offline. Uh, and I, had, I did an interview with a reporter about this a couple of days ago, and she's like, why would they take it offline? It's like, well, they're obviously concerned enough that leaving it online poses more risk. So is somebody already in there in the network? which is one of the concerns. Uh, are they clear about what the vector by which someone got into that network was? Um, and now all of this is unclear as well because all we get is like news headlines from reporters. We really haven't seen much from the Department of Education. But particularly with everyone spending so much time online and, and then as we have incidents like uh, unexpected upticks of COVID, which force people to rapidly change their behaviours, you, you just don't have the time to plan the rollout of a lot of these systems as well. And I think what we've seen with COVID is a lot of people having to do things online under duress without sufficient time and planning. How much Zoom bombing did we see? It's not necessarily because Zoom was inherently vulnerable, but people just didn't understand how to use it. And they had to go and start using it very, very quickly without the ability to give it time and planning as we'd like to do. So I think we're going to keep seeing this as well because we're just going to see a lot of stuff which, which we have to do under duress without sufficient planning. My apologies. Ooh. Siri interjecting. Thank you, Siri. Uh, now, blog posts. So, a couple of things this week. So, uh, Dutch government, on to Have I Been Pwned, which was great. So, the folks there in, uh, in the Netherlands I've been speaking to for, <laughs> for quite some time. Very often, a lot of these government announcements, some of them happen very, very quickly. 
where they pop up and they go, hey, look, can we get access to the things? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll write a blog post and just give me your, your TLD for your gov stuff. Uh, it's job done, and we turn it around in a week. Other cases does take somewhat longer. Um, I've had a lot of people from the Netherlands <laughs> asking me, as though I have some control over it, to get the Dutch government online. The only control I have over it is when someone reaches out from one of these governments, I do what I can to get them online and get them connected. So that the Dutch was one where there were a lot of requests for. Uh, it was one that was a bit closer to my heart, having lived there a couple of years uh, as a kid. And the Netherlands is somewhere that, that I do I do normally love going back to when I can travel places. So it's really cool to have them on board. Uh, and I'll have some new friends to go and visit now in the, in the Netherlands when I can get back there. So that's great. They're now on board as well. There is my little black book. I've got to put a date on these guys. There is another one scheduled for this coming Monday. What would that be? 12, 12 June, 12 July. So I will be announcing another one next week, uh, which is cool. We just got the okay from them, and that's going to be that's going to be quite a significant one. But you'll see what I mean by that next week. So good on the Dutch for that. Uh, now. Uh, last thing as well is I got my MVP renewed, which I'm very happy for. I got, uh, this is my 11th Microsoft Most Valuable Professional Award. And look, I mean, it's it, it's a, a funny time. And if I'm honest, the requirements to get it renewed this year were probably a little bit easier than some of the other years because we are kind of stuck at home. Uh, I felt a little bit a little bit more confident that it would be renewed without too much drama. Uh, I guess, but it's still very, very significant. And for, for me, the, the MVP award was sort of the point. So when was the first one for me? 2010. Uh, that was sort of the point where I was like, oh, there might be something in this, like blogging and speaking and everything. Uh, and, and that, of course, now defines my life. So uh, I guess I, I'd normally expect it to be renewed, but I don't want to understate how significant and important <laughs> that still is. And as I said in the blog post, like the only reason the MVP stuff is there and it works, and the only reason I'm able to do this stuff is because people do consume uh, what I create. And, and if they stop doing that for, for whatever reason, then I wouldn't be able to do this anymore. And I wouldn't be able to live this way and have this independence and this autonomy. Uh, and the ability to spend my time just mucking around with random shit like this uh, that doesn't earn any money <laughs> or give me a lifestyle because I've been able to actually make stuff out of the other things. Uh, and that's because of folks like you actually tuning into these things, consuming the things I create, uh, making demand uh, and making companies want to pay me to go and do talks or workshops or things like that. Uh, so thanks, folks, <laughs> for supporting me with the MVP. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully I'll, I'll hit the dozen in a year from now. So look, I don't think there's there's much more in the, in the comments here. The um, the biggest thing that I've sort of taken away from some of these is some more ideas around just mucking around with this network, trying to get this network behaving the right way. So I really hope that a combination of some of the ideas here, the support from Ubiquity and the kids going back to school on Tuesday and me having a little bit more time, that hopefully next week when I do this, I'll have a much more stable network with the things working. What would actually make it perfect is if, if that Shelley firmware, which might, might, help fix some of these problems came out. So if you're from Shelley, please push the firmware. <laughs> Thanks, folks. I'm going to go and uh, now enjoy my Saturday, and I'll come to you uh, back on the normal schedule of Friday next week. It will be Friday morning next week, my time. I've got to coordinate this around the skids. Skids, what are they? Probably skids. The kids' time with their schooling as well. Thanks, folks. See you next week.